You are Locked On Nets, your daily Brooklyn Nets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And welcome into a chill Sunday afternoon edition of the Locked On Nets podcast. I am Gavin Shaw alongside Josh Bass. And the reason I'm so relaxed for this one is because we are talking uh, NBA draft. Uh, We don't have to concern ourselves with the Nets being probably the worst team in basketball over the last 14 games of the year. Maybe maybe the Suns. The Suns are probably worse. But one of the worst teams in basketball over the last 14 games because we are talking about their potential pick in this year's draft. And uh, before we get into that, uh, we wanted to talk about uh, the top uh, seven or so guys uh, on mine and Josh's board and just kind of get a general feel for that. Not to rub it in that the Nets don't have their pick, just because we like talking about this stuff and we thought it might interest you guys as draft Knicks, but obviously you can skip ahead if that is uh, too much of a trigger for you. Uh, and even before that, Josh, uh, our guy, uh, Jeremy Lin, appearing on our other guy, uh, Zach Lowe's podcast at the uh, Sloan Analytics Conference. Uh, pretty cool occurrence. Yeah, no, that was that was great, and I think Jeremy Lin's a, is very well spoken. He's a very intelligent person, um, also just a really engaging guy. And I think him uh, on the Zach's podcast was just great, and he told some good stories. And uh, I was actually a little disappointed because people may not know this, but me and you have a connection with Jeremy Lin, Gavin. Why don't you explain? Yeah, well, it's it's like a little a little less direct than that, but. Uh... Uh, our, our high school, the year, not our graduating class, but the year before our graduating class, the so one year ahead of us, uh, they uh, get to essentially like submit a list of people that they want as potential graduation speakers, and they get they have some input on it. And that was uh, just happened to be right in the middle or even the peak of Linsanity. So, of course, he, he was the uh, logical guy at a predominantly Asian high school, and frankly, any high school, I think he, he would have been probably the number one candidate for just because of how much of a hero he was uh, for New York basketball at that point. Josh, I'm sure you hated him uh, back then. No, uh, I loved him. I uh, was okay. at the original Insanity game. And oh, you really? can see me. I remember the ESPN highlights of that game. Uh, I was actually in the stands for that. And you can see me. Yeah, they, they, we zoom, they zoom in on you and they're like. We were sitting right <laughs> next to someone that had a Jeremy Lin fan sign. Oh, like, yeah. Or even took off. So <laughs> tough. Yeah, no, it's pretty good. It, it's pretty good. Uh, anyways, those dur- during the peak of insanity, and of course, our uh, our, our senior the class ahead of us uh, wants no one other than Jeremy Lin to be uh, their graduation speaker. And uh, Lin s- said no, but he said it in, in in a plight, really cool way by making like a long YouTube video. I believe he uh, spoke some uh, I don't know if it was uh, Cantonese or Mandarin in it, but spoke some Chinese. So it was. Uh, is, is that is that pejorative? Can I not say that? I think it's fine. Okay, cool. I'm pretty All sure right. it's Mandarin. Okay, but. good. All right. Uh, anyways, yeah, he. Uh, it, was, it was pretty cool. It was a cool mm-hmm. video. I and he, like, didn't he, didn't he shout out like one of our te- like not like one of our teachers, but like a Stuyvesant teacher at one point? He might have. I just remember like our high school, as Gavin mentioned, was predominantly Asian, and just seeing so many people that weren't interested in sports post in the the Facebook group of our class, like every, after every Lin game, saying, "Oh my God, this is amazing!" Like he really did captivate a city. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it was it was incredible. And I thought, like, Lynn actually, like, raised, like, a pretty good point that, like, I, I never really uh, thought of, but I, I love Mike D'Antoni to death, so I, I'd, I'd want to give him as much credit as possible. Like, he, he, he really made the astute observation that a lot of coaches, like, even after that great game, would have, like, immediately sat Lynn and just been like, all right, it's a flash in a pan, good job, like, we'll give you, like, 15, 20 minutes off the bench, like, you did great. Uh, but then D'Antoni, like, was just like, all right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna ride the hot hand, like, let, let's see how long you can keep this going. And he really 
Um, and I think this is like, again, D'Antoni's like greatest quality throughout his career. And it's something I think Kenny Atkinson, like ironically enough, tries to apply to this Nets team. He, he empowers players better than any coach I've ever seen. And like, if, if a guy plays well for him and hits his shots, like he doesn't really overthink it. He, he doesn't look at Jeremy Lin and say, you don't look like the typical NBA superstar. So I'm not going to trust what I'm seeing right before my eyes that you're tearing up the NBA and capable of continuing to do that for at least a couple games. Um, and, and he, and he trusted him to keep going. And obviously like it eventually fell apart, uh, doing no small part to, uh, I'd say the selfishness of Carmelo Anthony, but, uh, it, it was, it was an incredible run. Yeah, no, it was, it was certainly great. And I think underreported story, just like, I wonder how Stoudemire felt in that whole situation. Wasn't like he, he was, was, was he still like relevant at that point? In, he was injured, but he was still considered a big part of the team then. At, yeah. Uh, in between, uh, I think it was the year basically having that MVP season, uh, MVP caliber season. But yeah, as you mentioned, D'Antoni, great job of empowering players, kind of the anti-Lionel Hollins in that sense. Lionel! Worst um, coach in Nets history. Yeah, you you were you were not a fan. I, I remember that even even before I cared about. Every oh, time I see him in, in the flu commercial, I, I freak out a little bit. Lionel! All right. Uh, yes, yeah, so that, was, that was pretty cool. And, and anything else from the podcast uh, stand out to you? I know there was, there were like, it was, was kind of short. It was only like 23 minutes. Uh, I, I think, uh, oh yeah, I, this is the part we wanted to talk about, uh, because that actually like, we, we both started talking about that because Zach Lowe asked Lynn, uh, what was like the weirdest request you request you were asked to like accommodate, like during Lynn sanity or like the weirdest like occurrence. And we were like both like kind of crossing our fingers and be like, oh, like maybe they'll, they'll talk about our high school. But instead, uh, there was this girl who, like who I think lived in his apartment building or stalked. No, stalked. Yeah. Stalked. Okay. Well, she, I, she, I know she didn't live on his floor, but she might have been in the building. Anyway, she like to some degree stalked Lynn, and Lynn like made it clear like he was in a fancy apartment where like you can only access the floor that he was on by living on that floor apparently. And she uh, somehow got access to the floor, asked him to take a picture with her. He said no. Uh, stuck her like foot in the door and wouldn't let him close the door to his apartment. Uh, eventually gave up that pursuit and then started leaving cakes outside of his house and Lynn like wisely didn't want to eat them. And then instead Lynn's friend comes over and just like joyfully starts eating the cake, which produced more cakes. So it was a, uh, is a whole, uh, whole messed up situation, but uh, good, good for Jeremy Lynn for having I a stalker that early in his career. I keep picturing Lynn's friend just being Chandler Parsons. Cause I know they're boys. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That'd be good. Josh, would you, would you have eaten the cakes? Uh, probably not. Uh, depends how hungry I was. Yeah, whatever. Like, I mean, like, if it's, it was it's, like a buttercream frosting, then maybe. But if it's chocolate cake, get that out of here. I'm a big uh, Harvey Wallbanger guy. A little, a little bit of booze in that it is uh, delicious. All right. Uh, yes, that was uh, that was Jeremy Lin and Zach Lowe. Obviously, we highly recommend you hearing the uh, full podcast. And now we're going to take a quick break for an ad. Attention cancer victims, if you or a loved one lived, worked, or visited Lower Manhattan in the months after the 9-11 attacks and have been diagnosed with cancer, federal benefits and health care may be available. Attorney Eddie Markowitz has helped many families recover substantial benefits from the September 11th Victims Compensation Fund. The James Zidroga Health and Compensation Act has been extended, but time is limited. Attorney Markowitz is proud to serve as counsel to the Zidroga family. Let him help you too. These benefits are not just for rescue workers, but to anyone who qualifies. The fund covers many cancers, including prostate, skin, lung, and breast. Please call 1-800-LAW-HELP. That's 1-800-LAW-HELP to see if you qualify. All right, uh, let's talk draft. Okay, Josh, do you want to... 
let's each uh, take turns unveiling our top seven. And like when I say my one, you say your one, and we'll go back and forth. All right. Number one, Luka Doncic. Same. Number two, DeAndre Ayton. Same. Oh, you copycat. Number three, Michael Porter Jr. Uh, Different. No. Who do you have? Uh, it's number three spot. I have Bamba. I think it's a matter of personal preference, but, uh, you know, he's a Brooklyn guy, I believe. So hmm. give a shout out to him. And why would you have less Mo- Bamba when you could have Mo Bamba? All right. Uh, number four. Mo money Mo Bamba. Number four. I do. I do have your boy Bamba and you have Porter. Okay. Number five, uh, Marvin Bagley. Sam. Okay. Number six, Trey Young. I have Jaron Jackson and then I have seven, uh, Trey Young at number seven. I have Jaron Jackson, number seven. All right, so yeah, we got the same seven guys. Pretty similar. Uh, yeah, I think two two little flips there. Uh, we, we could we could start at the top. Uh, what what for you puts uh, Doncic ahead of Aiden? Mm-hmm. I think this, the most important position in today's NBA is the wing that can create because it really helps to set everything up for the rest of your offense. Uh, you can kind of have guys at the point guard position now, like a Patty Mills, that can kind of play off the ball and just hit threes. Um, and so having them take pressure off your point guard position is really a key aspect. And we've seen with Ben Simmons at, down in Philly, having a 6'10 point guard um, and someone that can get into your offense and really be efficient with the ball with that kind of size really allows you to play other guys like Covington and J.J. Redick in your starting lineup that can just bang threes and not necessarily have to create as much. So it really um, gives you a unique advantage when setting your lineup. Yeah, and it, I, I mean, I'd actually like. It's funny that you say that, Josh, because I'd kind of like to see Doncic uh, end up in the Eastern Conference, just because I think him versus Ben Simmons could be a great rivalry down the road. Because they're both in that big point guard mold, and that that's really what they share: their height and their like genius level passing ability. Like I, I think, based on what some people have said, you might even put Doncic ahead of Simmons, and Simmons is like like have like you can make no bones about it like he's a great great passer so that really gets me excited about Doncic but what separates them is Simmons obviously thrives because he's a freak of nature athletically and he's super strong going to the basket and really bullies most guards who try to guard him and then he's too fast for big guys trying to guard him Doncic on the other hand is is a solid athlete but he really gets by because he's a great shooter and if if not an elite one yet um, and he uses that to draw guys out and then attack off the dribble when they're lurching forward. So those two guys, they get it done in different ways, but I agree with you. They both kind of fit the same mold. And I think if you look at the Doncic versus Aiton comparison side by side, I don't think there's any question in my mind that DeAndre Aiton has a higher ceiling and he's someone, and I thought, I thought it was pretty interesting on the Ringers draft podcast. They were talking about it this week, whether he's a big who's dominant enough that he could kind of change the way the NBA plays a little bit, or at least force teams to alter their game plan specifically towards his team. Like like the example they use, which I think is kind of the one you have to because he, he's the ultimate counterpoint to this and, and the start of the small ball revolution to some degree, is, is could he bully Draymond Green? Like if you, if you post up DeAndre Ayton and you're playing against the Warriors, are you going to play... If not, you're not going to play Draymond Green off the floor, but are you going to play him out of the center position? Or is Draymond Green going to blow by Aiden every time on defense and create a four on three and is or and going to be able to stonewall Aiden on the other end? So that's kind of the integral question you look at when, when you measure DeAndre Aiden's upside. And if he can become that guy that could play a Draymond Green type of player off the floor, then he should be your number one pick. If you don't think that, and I personally think he's going to fall just short of that and be a really good player, if not that kind of game-changing force, then I, I think you should take Donkic ahead of him. Yeah, I mean, it's tough. And I think Donkic, hopefully he goes into a scenario next year where he is not like 
relied on to do everything. So I'm thinking if he goes to like a team like Chicago or Phoenix, uh, yeah, or Chicago or Phoenix or Atlanta, even even though Schroeder's not the greatest player, he's someone to take uh, pressure off of Doncic because he's going to be 19 next next year and he's not going to be able to do everything. Uh, I kind of think of Doncic as like a supercharged Karis LeVert in that he's not the best athlete, but he's pretty good at every aspect of the game. And Doncic shots a lot better. And he's just his basketball IQ is off the charts. So I think he's not going to have any weaknesses. And we've seen players like even um, I feel like Victor Oladipo this year has been a great example of someone that doesn't have any weaknesses. Bradley Beal is another that comes to mind. Um, so playing them is so difficult because they can just score in a multitude of ways. Um, but Aiden, as you mentioned, the guy is just a beast. Like when you look at him on the court, especially compared to college players, it's a joke. He just looks like a different species out there. Yeah, no, I I remember um I, I went to Arizona State for college, so I, I was big into that territorial cup game, and, and they played ASU's actually, even though they haven't played well at all lately, they're they're pretty good this yeah, year. No but one cares about it, ASU. no, I'm just I'm setting up the story. Shut up. Uh, yeah, and uh, Aiton just like I mean like ASU is a bad example because they don't really have great big play, but like it was like you or I playing against like second graders if we were like really coordinated and talented. So maybe, maybe nothing like that, but he, he was just like volleyballing the ball to himself, like off the rim. Like he'd, he'd throw up, like he'd be double or triple team and he'd throw up a shot knowing that if he didn't go in, he was going to get the rebound and dunk it. And that was just happening over and over and over again. And last night they played Oregon and I think he had like 28 and 10 with like six minutes left in the game. And then he didn't get a touch the whole rest of the game and all of overtime. And you can argue that's like a critique of eight. And like, I'd argue that's like a critique of his team and the fact that Sean Miller is no longer their coach, but that's, that's a whole different story. Well, but and anyways, I guess my, my point is like, he's like, I mean, you, you said it, he, he's like in the mold of an Anthony Davis in the mold of a Carl Anthony Towns where he's just too, or Boogie Cousins is like, I think like, the all-time like modern example of this like he's just physically too dominant for the college level yeah he's kind of like just what you were saying about throwing the ball off the glass against Arizona State and then being able to catch it and just get in a better position to score kind of reminds me of Andre Drummond but like with he has touch and he can make free throws I think he's shooting yeah 75 percent from the line this year so that if he Andre Drummond had shooting touch that would make him an absolutely elite player um and I think that Aiden's just going to be a beast wherever he goes and it's so tough to to judge college big guys because Oftentimes, their point guards just can't get them the ball. And I can think of someone like a team like Texas that never has good point guards, and their big guys are always hindered from it. Uh, and we can think of Mo Bamba this year, but even the past few years, Miles Turner, Jared Allen, those guys have gotten so much better. Uh, like their shooting percentages have really skyrocketed once they got into the NBA because they actually have teammates that can get them the ball in positions where they can finish. Yeah, that, that just totally. Total tangent, but that just made me think the last Texas big guy to have a good point card, LaMarcus Aldridge, was able to play with Daniel Booby Gibson. So he, uh, he really he lucked out. Now I had, he had PJ Tucker too, but yeah, great team. Anyways, uh, neither here nor there. Uh, yeah, so that was uh, that was kind of fun. Yeah, so that, that that's where I'm at in the uh, Donkic uh, Aiden debate. And the thing with Aiden is like it's not even just that like he can make free throws. Like they'll like call plays for him to get like shots on the elbows, and he's like this nice little face up jumper. And it's it, like to me like the really good sign for him. Like it's not just that he has good touch because I think Bagley has pretty good touch too. But it's just like his like release is like so like snappy, and he's like. Obviously, like, there's, like, been a wave of guys, and I think, like, Towns is, like, really a good example of this, and Anthony Davis, a guy who grew up playing guard, is, like, kind of, like, the freak example of this, but I, I think he's also, like, like kind of the perfect example of someone who was, like, grew up in the 2000s and, like, during, like, the way, like, grew up during, like, the Suns, like, changing basketball a little bit and watching guys like Boris Diaw and Sean Marion and then, like, eventually now, like, Towns and Boogie, like, do stuff at the big position that just really 
wasn't seen before. And now it's just, it's just like such a big part of his game. And you could tell this is a guy who has been doing guard drills his whole life. And like, it really shows up in his game. So to me, that that's so impressive. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know. I think Bagley's more like the Anthony Davis type, just like less of a yeah. less shooting touch, but in terms of being able to catch the ball 20 feet out yeah, and, and go to the rim. drive in. Yeah, that's fair. Like he's kind of like a small forward that happens to be seven feet tall. Yeah, no, that's, that's a hundred percent. And fair. only scores around the rim. All right. We'll, we'll get to him in a second, but let's talk, uh, Quickly, because we, we, we took a lot of time at Donkish and Aiton, but uh, the Porter versus Bamba debate, uh, again, this is kind of similar in my mind to, like, Donkish Aiton, where you could argue, like, Bamba has, like, as much upside as, like, anyone in the draft. Like, maybe Aiton's a little higher because of that shooting touch, but Bamba has, like, a little bit of that, too, where he can shoot from outside, and he's, like, like as much as Aiton is a physical freak, I think Bamba might even be, like, bigger than he, like, he's not, I don't think he's as muscular, but he's, like, taller, and, like, obviously, like, what, what does he have, like, a 7'9 wingspan? Like, he, he really does just kind of look like an alien. Yeah, bear like he just has to get stronger. Um, but I, th- I think he's going to be a good player. He's a good rebounder. Um, he's pretty active. I think he likes to shoot threes a lot. He's pretty bad at it, but um, that <laughs> can come over time. And I think his natural touch is okay. Yeah. Touching on Porter, I mean, I haven't. I really have only seen the guy. I think like once in the McDonald's All American game. Yeah. Um, but just like his brother's pretty good, and he's supposed to be a lot better than his brother. So it's like I'm just going to assume he's good, and I. I know he was right up there with Donkic for the number one pick before the season, so I don't want to penalize guys too much uh, if they miss time. Yeah, and the good news is he, he just got cleared, and like it's still not 100% a certainty that he's going to play this year, but it, it seems like either SEC tournament or NCAA tournament, we're going to get a little bit of a feel for him, and obviously that was enough for like someone like I mean Kyrie Irving, who I mean it's, it's slightly different because he had like some incredible performances early in the season, and he like. I think also, those, yeah, and I think those injury, and obviously like, his injury wasn't quite as concerning as a Porter who I think had back issues uh, was. But I don't know. My logic for putting Porter ahead is like he just seems like again like the quintessential like modern guy you want. Like obviously like the ultimate like high ceiling like unrealistic comparison is like Kevin Durant, but he does have like a little bit of that in his game and that he's like a giant human being. Like I think he's I think he isn't he like six eight six nine six ten. He's he's like he's like a really big dude who, who can shoot and handle uh, and handle and is really skilled and like and the concerns are kind of the same that people had about Durant coming out of high school where like he, he's just like too skinny and obviously like that proved out to be ridiculous and like obviously like I'm not saying he's going to be Kevin Durant because Kevin Durant's probably going to finish his career as one of the top 12 to 13 14 15 guys to ever play the game of basketball but Porter's in that mold and to me that like that just like type of game is so tantalizing that if he can prove his jump shot to be real, and I think that's probably the big difference between him and KD, he's like he's like a good shooter where KD is like an all-time great shooter. But um, I don't know if he if he proves to have some of that. Like I really think he's kind of like the quintessential like modern player in this draft, along with Doncic. And and like in terms of just like fitting guys into a lineup, like I know everyone says the same stuff about uh, Jaron Jackson, which is why he's so high. But to me, like Porter, Doncic, and Jackson are probably like the three easiest fits in a draft if you want to just plug and play a guy well i don't know about porter because if, it seems like he's kind of caught between the three and the four i mean offensively he's probably can do both yeah um but defensively i'm not really sure about his if he's going to be able to bang inside at the four and then he's really quick enough to play the three yeah uh, and maybe he will be i don't know i mean I, I don't know ideally you'd like pair him with someone like uh pj tucker wow two two pj tucker mentions on this podcast Whoa. and like we're like we're like tucker could yeah. bang with a four on defense and like porter could like kind of just play wherever he wants on offense 
But I, I don't know. Uh, we'll, we'll see. I think, I mean, to me, like, I, I always look at the offensive versatility first. And I think if you have a guy like Porter who's, like, long enough and with, like, good athletic ability, like, he'll, he'll figure something out on defense. But, yeah, uh, yeah, that, that's an interesting debate for He'd sure. Be a nice fit in Orlando, like, with him and Aaron Gordon now that Gordon can shoot threes and kind of space out. Yeah, and, and I, except, but then you have, like, can you play him, Gordon, and Isaac together at the same I think, time? Yeah, I think so. Is Gordon, do you think, I guess Gordon could play I some five. I think could play the five, even. He's a huge yeah. wingspan and he's, like, a can stretch out i think those three are just like a very interchangeable combo yeah and i think and then like the other guy uh that has been uh, pegged to the magic a lot is trey young but let, let's quickly talk uh marvin bagley we, we really only need to spend like 10 seconds on him i think we both have like the same take that he's like and just in terms of like pure talent he, he's as good as anyone in this draft but like his fit is a lot less clear than, the, than those top four guys yeah i think he's gonna be like there's some guys that once they get into the nba they just do so much better with the extra space something like a donovan mitchell yeah uh, he seems like he's someone that's better in college just because he's not going to be able to take advantage of of uh, being able to shoot threes i mean i know he's his percentage is decent for the season but i don't know his touch is kind of awkward um he just seems like better in in crowded spaces being able to score inside and just use that um agility and amy he's, he's super coordinated for his size but i don't know there's something about him there's a disconnect for me and also, I hate Duke, so. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. I think that might be it. Love that. Yeah, that, that could be, like, 80% of it. Yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm torn on him because he just, like, like, I mean, you watch him, like, the talent is just, like, so ridiculously obvious, and he's, like, it's just insane athletic ability. And, and and we said this earlier, like, and I think your Anthony Davis comparison was, like, was spot on in terms of his ability to uh, attack off the dribble and do a lot of things. And, I, and if he was just, like, two inches taller with, like, longer wingspan and better defensive instincts. Like, I really think, like, Anthony Davis comparisons would be, like, fair on both ends of the floor. But obviously, he's kind of, like, the slightly miniaturized version of that at only six foot ten and, like, not the same player defensively. But he, he does have really good offensive instincts. But I, I just, like, I don't know. Like, who who's the guy, like, in the NBA who looks like him and plays like him? That's, like, closer to his talent level than Davis is. Like, I, I just don't know that guy exists. So it's just, like, it's very hard to reject and if, I feel like guilty for punishing a guy for that because it's like he might be great, you just don't know. But it's like it's hard to see that fit. So for that reason, like that, that's kind of why I could see him falling out of the top four when I think for most of the year, guys were like, okay, it's going to be him or Doncic at that number one spot. Yeah, and it's tough. And he was someone that was anointed um, from his time, even when he was like a freshman and sophomore in high school. I remember like, oh, the Nets are going to have their pick in 2019, and he's supposed to be in that class. And then of course he yeah, you, you he were mad when he reclassified, yeah. Yeah, but um, I don't know. I think it's it's tough because once you get into college, people start to see your flaws a little bit more and are watching you on tape. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, he does have a unique game. I'm trying to think if there's anyone that really does play like him and nothing, no one comes to mind. Yeah, I don't know. I, ironically enough, like if the Nets were like in this spot, like I think the Nets would be like kind of like a good team for him yeah. because they really, they don't have anyone like him on their roster. He kind of plays like RHJ. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, what, like I, that's what I was thinking. Like, taller and more athletic yeah you plug him in and like jared allen is kind of like an ideal compliment to him like a shot blocker and a rim roller on the other end who could like theoretically shoot so it, it'll be fascinating like i wonder like who that team in like the top five six or seven like looks at him and is like yeah he's a really good fit like if, like if someone like sacramento or like orlando took him like I, I could see it being a disaster but uh and like him like and like someone else mentioned i think it's probably on the ringer pod but like if he ended up one of those teams like i feel like he like orlando would be really bad because i just i just don't think he fits there but like he'd, he'd average like 20 and 10 but it would just be like really empty so It'll be fascinating to see what the right fit for him. And then uh, Trey Young and Jaron Jackson, the last two. Jackson, obviously, like, again, like, kind of like the cleaner fit and, like, the guy, you know, you could just plug in on, like, a pretty good team and, like, maybe, like, 
if the Celtics end up in like the two to five range, like maybe they take a shot on him just because he kind of finishes out like what they already have going on. Or if like, or if Cleveland with the Nets pick ends up somewhere like in the six, seven, eight spots, like maybe they go after him. Like he, he just seems like kind of like the finishing piece of a good team rather than a team that like needs a star who's like going to yeah. take him. He's like a, he reminds me of kind of like a Patrick Patterson type. Yeah, that's that's a pretty good comparison, but like, obviously, or, like, like that's his absolute absolute worst case, and he's going to be able to do a lot more um, off the dribble, I think. But like in terms of being versatile and kind of fitting in every lineup, I can see that comparison. Yeah, I think defensively in particular is where he's going to be a lot better, and he just like he's like, he's again he's like you're just like typical like plug and play guy, like potentially like at the four spot or at the five spot, like wherever you want to put him in, like he's going to be able to make an impact in both ends of the floor. All right, and then uh, Trey Young, obviously. Yeah, very quickly. Let's, let's yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, like uh, probably like the most like contentious guy in this top seven, though I guess Bagley is like slowly working his way into that conversation. Went through like a six-game stretch where he was like terrible. Like if he had played like how he played that six-game stretch, like he wouldn't even be considered like a draft pick. And that, that's coming off like the first like 18 games of the year or so where he was far and away the best player in the country and I think still leading the nation in points and assists. Uh, last uh, last yesterday against Kansas State kind of got back to form, hit a, hit a bunch of 30-footers through 50-foot passes on a dime. And uh, I thought it was interesting. Fran Fraschilla kind of compared him. Uh, he, he was saying like the Steph Curry stuff was ridiculous. And and I think, I guess there's two ways of looking at that. Like, sure, it's ridiculous to compare anyone to the greatest shooter in NBA history. But I think comparing him to Steph Curry at the same age is, is perfectly reasonable because I think, frankly, Trey Young is better or at least as good at the uh, same age. But he, he compared him to Mike Conley, which in terms of body and like shooting ability and craftiness, I, I thought it was a pretty decent comparison. I, I don't think Trey Young's ever going to be that good defensively. And I think Conley's a little bit bigger than he is. But I, I thought that was kind of interesting if you want to throw Steph Curry out the window. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I think Trey Young's getting a, a bad rap now, but just the numbers he's putting up is unprecedented. Um, and even in college, his situation's perfect because I know that you're a big Oklahoma fan, Gavin. And the power forward they have, I'm forgetting his name now, the Brady Manick. Yeah, he's like a, a shooting four, so it's like someone that Young's going to play with in the NBA. Yeah, um, that type of player. So he does have a good situation, and the Big Twelve isn't exactly known for playing defense. Well, no, that's you're, 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 thinking, you're thinking football, Josh. The big the yeah, Big Twelve in basketball is is. Pretty no, easily the it, best conference in uh, the NCAA this year. It, yeah, they're all beating each other up. I guess yeah. Texas Tech and, and uh, West Virginia are good on Kansas. Defense. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Not yeah, a Kansas guy. yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm okay. Well, he also he also torched uh, Wichita State, who had one of the best defenses in the country. Just yeah. I know, but I, and I think that yeah. Trey Young is okay. You're getting defensive here, Gavin. Uh, yeah. No. But but I think <laughs> Young is if he goes below eight or nine, then it's going to be a huge mistake. And I think that his just pure offensive utility is going to be so valuable in the NBA that you can cover up for his defensive mistakes. Yeah, I agree with that, though. I will say with the qualifier, and in the past, like uh, you mentioned, I, I do tend to get defensive about him, but in particular, like his turnovers, like I was saying, like, well, like the talent around him isn't that good, which is true. And like, he's kind of forced to, like his like usage rate is higher than like anyone in modern NCAA history, which is also true. But the turnovers, like, I mean, you, you watch the tape, like they are like a real concern with him because he, he just makes some like mind-bogglingly bad decisions with the basketball, like especially when teams get more and more physical with him. And at the NBA level, obviously that issue is going to double and he's going to run into better athletes than he's ever seen in his life. So I do, I do have real concerns about that. And I think like people expecting him to come into the league right away and be like really, really good. Like even in like, even to like the degree, like Steph Curry wasn't obviously Curry stayed three years in college before coming out. So it was like a little bit of a different story, but like, I, 
I, I really do think he's going to need like sort of a redshirt year to get stronger, get more athletic, and kind of grow his way into the league. But down the road, I really do think he could be – I'm with you, Josh. I think he could be a special player at that point guard spot. Okay, uh, let, let's take uh, one more ad break. And with that, let me uh, tell you about our social media feeds uh, one more time. We were uh, live-tweeting uh, the Nets Thursday night loss to the Charlotte Hornets, who are suddenly playing very well. Uh, got got some decent interaction with that, a couple of comments, a couple of tweets uh, – excuse me, a couple of retweets, a couple of likes. Uh, yeah, so more of that uh, means we're going to make more of a concerted effort – and now that I have a lot more time uh, to really tweet during the game and get uh, interaction. So uh, be on the lookout for that. And let's take a quick ad break. And then when we come back, we will talk about uh, who the Brooklyn Nets could potentially take in the NBA draft. All right, uh, Josh, I feel bad. We spent uh, quite a bit of time on uh, the top seven, but we, we could talk about the Nets a little bit. And I guess like both of our hesitancy and talking about the Nets is like it, it, the draft is so hard to project, but it's, it, it gets harder the further down you go. And like in the late 20s, they're, they're just a million names right now the Nets could potentially take. But who, who, who do you like that you think could be available in that range and would be a decent fit on the Nets? Or, you know, before we even, we do, before we even get into specific players, like what, what type of player are you looking for the Nets to add? Mm, I think for the Nets, just the best player available. I mean, they, it's not like they have uh, any position so locked down. I mean, they do have a lot of guys at the lead ball handler spot, uh, with, especially with Jeremy Lin opting in for next year. Um, but you have no idea if any of those guys are going to be on the team in two years even. So might as well take another swing at that. And with the Nets injury history, you know that you're going to need another uh, lead guard or two. Um, but just taking the biggest swing possible, so going for the person that has the most upside uh, in hopes that they can develop into a superstar down the road because the Nets have enough role players they need guys to slot in above those role players um, to really lead themselves to a winning record and get back to the playoffs. Yeah, I'm with you too. And, and all season long, like I've, I've mentioned a bunch of times that like my dream would be like a stretch for, for them because I think that's the guy that could really change their offense. But I mean, the odds of finding that type of player in that spot, that would be like a significant upgrade Kuzma. over yeah, well, I mean, I guess obviously, obviously it does happen, but like that's like a, not a one in a million pick, but that's right. like a one in a hundred pick, for sure. Um, yeah, so it, it is really hard to find those guys. So I searched uh, far and wide, and and you mentioned him earlier in the podcast, Jonte Porter, a guy who kind of intrigues me, like really young uh, for the draft. I, I'm pretty sure he's only 17 right now because he, yeah, he reclassified at a high school. Yeah, and and someone who's been extremely inconsistent for Missouri, but it has to some degree shown off the ability to hit the three ball nine points. Seven rebounds a game this year, only only thirty three percent from three, but it's showing off a pretty nice stroke. Seventy seven percent from the foul line, and someone who can make plays from the perimeter. So just kind of like a creative ball handling big like that is really interesting to me. And, and then I I, I spent more time on it, and like he's again realistically, you're not going to get like a Lowry Markinen in this draft who who would be like perfect for the Nets. So I'm like I'm wondering if like maybe the answer is just to get like a hyper athletic wing guy because that, that that's the guy you look at the Nets roster you're like. Like, who really fits that mold? Like, I guess Karis LeVert is, like, the closest to that. He's not but, that good of an athlete, though, by NBA standards. I mean, I, I don't know. I, we, we've gone back and forth on it. Like, I think I think his, like, combination of speed and finishing ability, like, I guess I guess vertically he, he's not necessarily, but, like, in terms of explosiveness and, like, ability around the rim, like, I, I think I think he is up there. But, but again, I mean, you, you the fa- even the fact that we're arguing it shows the Nets don't have, like, really that one clear-cut dude on the roster. So I'm, I'm wondering, like, 
who in that mold they could potentially get. I'm really looking at it like they probably have to trade up to get that guy. Like the closest, like in the high 20s, like where the Raptors pick is inevitably going to end up is uh, Hamadou Diallo, who I know you don't love that much. And that, that's who Sports Illustrated had them taking. Like I wouldn't mind that as like kind of like an upside swing and someone who does have some finishing ability, but he's just been so, so inconsistent for Kentucky. And that I guess that's a lot of the guys, a lot of these guys that we're talking about. But um, he's, he's, I think, the closest that they could get at, like, 27, 28. Mm-hmm. And I think the Nets liked him a lot last year before he decided to uh, to stay at Kentucky, or yeah. actually start at Kentucky. Um, I know there was a whole situation with him enrolling a semester early. Um, but he's someone that I think he could be good, and he's great in the open floor. The problem with Kentucky is all their uh, players, all their top recruits are big men, so he's always playing with, like, two or three traditional uh, big men at a time, so it really hampers him. Um, but I just want to go for the player that I know the least about. So two guys come to mind for me. One, Anthony Simons, I believe I'm saying that right. Sure. Who's a top 10 recruit um, this year. But he, there's, what did he do? He like, I think uh, he went to prep school for a year. He went so to he, prep school, so he's eligible to, to do it, to come out of the draft uh, in the the fun McCurr uh, mold. So he's a shooting guard, super athletic from what I've heard. Uh, I watched some highlights. He can dunk. That's a good thing. So <laughs> just throw him in there, see what Agatha can do. Another guy, Mitchell Robinson, five-star center, uh, was supposed to go to Western Kentucky, ruled ineligible for the year. The guy just spending the entire season just prepping for the draft at one of those like uh, camps that that just churns out prospects, like a P3, <laughs> I think they're called. So just it, 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 no, take, it's Camp Skoda. Yeah, take one of these guys that that haven't played uh, that haven't played college and say, okay, like let's see what we can do with them. These you might find a hidden gem. Yeah. Um, these, listen, no one thought Trey Young was going to blow up this year at college, so. Takes him in the second round and all of a sudden he's a stud. So just take someone you don't know anyone of anything about. I take LeBron Jr. for all I care if he's eligible. No, just find I, I with upside. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you. Uh, that that's an interesting hype. I wonder like if like if it was like uh I think Cocky has this where you can like draft people like almost any age. Like I wonder like where LeBron Jr. would go at this point. Bronny. Um, anyways, uh, I, I guess the third scenario there and the final one we're going to talk about, and one I think that we both like is like the Nets potentially trading up, like not necessarily for like a top 10 or five pick because we both agree like they don't really have the assets to do that, but like somewhere in like the late lottery, like 10 to 14 or maybe even 15, 16, 17. And, and like the names I marked in that range potentially were, uh, Lonnie Walker, Chandler Hutchinson, uh, Troy Brown, Hutchinson, maybe the guy I like, I Walker's the guy I like the most, but like the guy like at his slot, I potentially like the most, um, no, not Hutchinson. Oh, I don't know. I, I think he, I think he'd be like a nice scorer at the end of the level. But sure, okay, low ceiling. Okay, if you want to go higher ceiling, I guess Brown and particularly Walker, who's a guy I really, really like, are are, are the two to go after. Like both like aggressive, attacking, athletic wings. A Walker, a developing three point shot as well, and like and like two guys like again, and and, and this is what we were just talking about. Like that, the Nets like just don't really have that type of player on their roster, and I guess the the price to play at that point would be probably packaging the Toronto pick with Rondé Hollis-Jefferson, which I think is actually like a pretty decent deal for a team, especially someone who like or doesn't... Also. Yeah, or uh, I wouldn't do that. But but like for like a team that like really like is confident in their ability to draft and like doesn't necessarily love like... It was, it was, that does happen like where teams like differ on boards and that's kind of beautiful because it does create opportunities to trade up and, and like someone like... I mean, obviously like the Spurs don't have a pick there, but like a team that's really confident in their ability to draft says, you know what, let's go get Rondé Hollis-Jefferson who odds are is probably going to be 
a, a similar or better than like whoever we take in the 14, 15, 16, and let's take a shot at 28. And for the Nets, it gives them a chance at a higher upside guy. So I think that'd be a win-win for uh, two teams. So that, that well, could be a path that they could go down. Yeah. The only thing is that I'll say the Nets have, in Sean Marks' two drafts, yeah, I think he's hit home runs on both of his first-round picks. I mean, Lavert at number 20 was a steal. And then Jared Allen at 22 this year, um, if there was a redraft, he'd be towards the end of the lottery. So that was a good pick. I think he'd be I a higher than in, yeah. hmm? I think he'd be a top-ten pick. No, I was going through it. I think oh, really? I still think he'd be like 12 to 14 in that range. But definitely good value for, yeah. for where they got him. Um, so I'm confident in Marks' ability to draft and find some gems. Uh, because he's also done that in the D-League with guys like Dinwiddie and Harris. The one blemish that I would have on Marx's regime is his uh, trades. Because I think the the Crab trade and the D-Lo trade are still uh, great pending on that. But as far as draft goes, I really have faith in him to find some sleepers. So I'm not sure how I would feel about them giving up someone that's proven that uh, to be a decent role player, like an RHJ or Dinwiddie, just for the chance of getting a better pick when I think they can identify talent later in the draft. Yeah, I would, again, like for me, like Dinwiddie would be off the table unless they're trading into like the top seven or eight, which I don't think any team would do. So that's not going to happen. Yeah so, yeah, so it's a non-starter. Anyways, um, yeah, and then I, I don't know. I guess I'm with you, and it's not like they haven't, obviously, like there are extenuating circumstances, but they haven't totally excelled without Hollis Jefferson. Like he's his value's like somewhat proven out by how terrible they've been uh, without him. So uh, that it, it might be worth uh, keeping him, but just, just yeah. a path they could potentially go down. All right, with that, uh, we'll wrap up this NBA draft edition of the Locked on Nets podcast. Josh, thanks for taking uh, 36 minutes out of your day to sit down with me. And uh, we'll wrap this one up. We will be back, uh, if everything goes well, Monday and Tuesday night to recap uh, the Chicago game where the Nets will potentially get their first win in a long time. And uh, maybe, maybe Cavs win. They played them well last time. All right. Be good.